service of the semester, fourth Thursday night. Man, time is moving on. We got some some rhythm, some routine. Yeah. Um, I noticed like with uh, with our freshmen now, how many freshmen we got? Oh yeah, we have the representation. So, and usually, like we we can spot you guys. Like it's, it's, there's a certain walk, all the clothes are new, everything is like there's just a certain like way you carry yourself, and that's kind of changed after the first month. And we basically all look like we know we're going, right? Everybody's like got their class routine, kind of know where you're going to eat, where you're going. Yeah. So we got some rhythms. Hey, so speaking of rhythms, this is our um, third night covering one of the hard sayings of Jesus. Everybody started the first night. I was incredible, very much flowed with what we are doing in this message series, talking about following Jesus. But tonight we are looking back again at the hard sayings of Jesus. We're going to be in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Um, before we do that, I just want to read um, a couple quotes that kind of remind us of what we're doing in this series, where we're going with this, what this is about. This first one is actually from Mark 20. Okay, listen to this. It ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. A lot of the Bible, we say it's hard to understand because, well, it's just quite simple and hard for us to understand. Because we, it calls for us to change. And I'm not so sure about that. It's not the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. What I'm going to say tonight, which is not actually what I'm going to say, but I'm going to read to you that Jesus said yeah. might be hard to understand. Yeah. You will yeah. see in a moment. F.F. Bruce said this. He said, for some people, thinking is a difficult and uncomfortable exercise. <laughs> that could Amen. be true of some, some Houston students, but this is a university. And we did come here to think a little bit, right? Yeah. For some people, thinking is a difficult and uncomfortable exercise, especially when it involves the critical reappraisal of firmly held prejudices and convictions, or the challenging of current consensus of opinion. Hello. Any utterance, therefore, which invites them, and that could be, that could be us, to engage in this kind of thinking is a hard saying. Okay. Jesus is not going to let us down tonight, guys. Are you ready to be challenged? Okay. Have no other way. Okay. Um, let me say this, I said this last time, Jesus was not building a fan club. Yeah. 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 He was in fact in this very verse we're gonna look at, he was sifting the crowd. Yeah. Uh, we're looking at Luke 14, 26. Let me read to you verse 25. It's not in the slides, but it says this. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said. So why does it say that? Because he knew that some people were following him for the wrong reason. And he's willing and ready to look for the true followers. Yes. Okay? Large crowds are traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, our heart saying, tonight. Here it is, Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate, yeah, you heard it, his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. What? Hello. Thank you for the hard saying, Jesus. You did not let us down tonight, right? Yeah. If anyone comes to me 
and does not hate his father. I don't even have to read that emphatically. Your heart says, read it, right? And it's like, bam. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So, what's going on here? We're here to explain this. This is a comparative statement, and it's explained by a parallel statement that Jesus made in Matthew 10, 37. This is what I mean by comparative statement. If you hear this, you'll understand. This is how Matthew 10, 37 reads, Anyone who loves their father or mother more, comparative. Got it? Anyone who loves their father or mother, mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's pretty straight up too. Pretty difficult to hear. But as you see, he's explaining even Luke 14 by what he's saying there. So obviously Jesus is not, um, even though it is a comparative statement, you, you might say, well, why didn't he just stick with Matthew 10, 37 and just say it that way? Because he was being provocative. He was, he was purposefully, you might say, well, the language in is different. I know, I've read the commentary, researched it, he said it that way. On purpose. He wasn't trying to pad the comment or soften his words. He was trying to get the people he was talking to, which doesn't do us tonight. He was trying to get their attention. Yeah. And then when he has their attention, then he could move forward. But he's, he's trying to get their attention. Yeah. Um, he knows this. Jesus knows this. That just as material possessions can come between us and God, mm-hmm. so can family ties. Yeah. 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 And so he's willing to go after them. Yeah. Just as material possessions can come between us and our relationship with God, so can our family ties. Sometimes, what I've seen and even experienced in my own life, family can be just an extension of yourself. And it can be all about me and mine. And your family is, for the most part, people that look like you, literally, right? And have some commonality, and you're comfortable with them. And if you're not careful, your selfishness is sometimes not just an individual thing. It can be a family thing. That you are family-centric in such a way that you're ignorant and excluding of other people. Okay? You see that? And then just in a very, very practical sense, I've encountered plenty of students where you could say that their family had maybe... It was the immigration family, not Jesus. So if breakaway did come up, something was happening with a small group, a mission trip you wanted to go on, family always took priority. I'm not saying family shouldn't be a priority in your life. I'm not saying that at all. But if it always takes priority, even Jesus is calling you on that. Yeah. Okay? So what can happen is we can prioritize our families to the neglect of God's family. And that could actually include his children that have not yet been brought in. Yeah. And you don't care. Right. Yeah. right? But there's some irony here because loving God won't actually lead to the neglect of the family. Yeah. Yeah. You loving God is the best thing you could ever do yeah, amen. for your family. I mean, I could tell you, I could line up amazing story after amazing story of seeing college students fall in love with Jesus and take that back to their home and see parents that were having a divorce break that and come back to death. Yeah. I've seen complete, I've seen households completely transformed by students like you falling in love with Jesus and then loving their family. Yeah. With Jesus loving their family through them. Yeah. Oh man, it's so good. Yeah. Okay? So 
you have to realize God loves your family more than you do. And if you, if you just say, Lord, if you'll put him paramount, put him above all else, he will actually love your family better than you ever could on your own. Through you. Yes. Okay, so what is Jesus doing in this heart saying beyond this? Because it's not, in one sense, he's just taking family just to take a thing that we can idolize. Other times he takes different things. But he'll just go after them because he wants to be supreme in your life. So what Jesus is doing here is, where, is what he does elsewhere. He's setting himself apart. Because he knows, Jesus knows what we all know. Yeah. The simple principle that you drop what you have when you find something better. Yeah. That's real simple. You drop what you have when you find something else better. Yeah. Put that next slide up, Tyler, for me. You drop what you have when you find something better. We're going to have some baseball gloves come up on the screen here. Okay. So my son is 11, plays a lot of baseball, um, plays for a local team here in town called Team Never Quit. And that first glove there on the left is his first glove, okay? And for a time, like, he was thrilled with it. I didn't even buy it. I like, got it from a friend, didn't even know if baseball was going to take, right? I just was making sure it was broken in. It's an old Wilson. It worked. He caught some balls with it, did pretty well, made all-stars with it. We were, like, thrilled and thinking we could use that thing for a couple years. But no, he's in the dugout with other boys, right? Yeah. He's seeing other gloves. And he's like watching YouTube and stuff. And he's like, oh, there's more out there. Okay? So then he's got to get, got to get this Wilson H200, which is the next glove. It's a decent glove for his you know, age group at that time. And man, I make two full seasons. So we were like, all right. I mean, I can use that glove, so why not keep using it? But no, then there's this black glove. It's called the Rawlings R9. Oh. And then Blaze has just got to have it. Thankfully, there was some birthday money and some Christmas money, and he, ha he had to have it. And I was like, well, there's your money. Go get it, right? And so he went and got it. And that's the shortest lift glove. I don't know why. I use that one the most now. I think it lasts for like three months because you drop what you have and you find something better. Yeah. You drop what you have. We all know this principle. It's really simple. Yeah. But this Wilson A2000 comes along. And that's just, by any standard, a good glove. Yeah. And he hears about it and that out again. Okay? And he knows this is a good glove. And so he's got to have it. So he gets it, the Wilson A2000. But then he's watching this, he's following this YouTuber. And he's got to have this Rawlings far right, Rawlings hard of the high baseball glove. And I'm like, hey, a Wilson 80,000 plays. It's a Wilson 80,000. It's just a great look. Why do you need anything better? I don't know. I mean, I don't really need it, but I just want this up. <laughs> but to him, that's how we make choices. He pursues it to have more value, so he drops what he has to get something better. To get the Wilson part of the high glove. Thankfully, the grandparents stepped in on that. $300. <laughs> If there's, any, if there's any baseball players in the room, like, you, you understand. Okay, y'all, cut back on me. What do we say the difference between men and boys is the price of their toys, right? The difference between men and boys is the price of their toys. 
we can knock, we can knock the guys, the ladies got the same kind of thing going on, right? <laughs> okay. So, so this is, this is kind of how this works. Um, you got that, that first picture of the Jeep. This is your first Jeep. Remember Matchbox cars, Hot Wheels? Oh yeah. And then, honestly, I still have some fun playing with those. <laughs> Messing around with the boys with them on track, tracks, making them jump and all that. Um, but I don't think most of the guys here brought their Hot Wheels collection to school. Anybody bring their Hot Wheels? Ooh. Okay. No surprise. <laughs> now most of us, I think, left those behind and we actually drove them on to college, right? Because you drop what you have and you find something better, right? But first, I'm getting ahead of myself. You go from these Hot Wheels, and I remember going to Walmart with my boys, and you'd be like, Hot Wheels are cheap, and then they completely satisfied. They are pumped to walk out that door with a new car. It's like three bucks. And they can make all the sound effects, they can make it drift, they can make it do all kinds of cool things, jump. And they're, they're totally satisfied. But then you got like the ride on Jeep. Here we go, the ride on Jeep. Anybody have one of these? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, guys, Toys R Us has become a thing of the past. You guys remember Toys R Us? I think the best place as a kid to drive those was not actually when you got them home, but was actually in Toys R Us, like the only course. Yeah. We could actually drift them and slide them around the corners. He's going as long as uh, yeah, the associates weren't paying attention to you. Okay. But nobody brought all of those to college. Right? The battery went dead. You don't even know what happened to it or where it's at. You gave it away. It's gone, right? You got sun bleach, sucked out in the rain, crowded in the trash. So what's the next slide? What's the next thing you got to have? is the actual Jeep, right? Oh, yeah. And you set your eyes on that. Yeah. Yeah, there you go, right? The progression we make. Okay, so what am I saying? Jesus knows what we know. You drop what you have when you find something better. So what's he doing to us? He's saying you got to hate your parents, your brother, your sister. He's saying love them more than me. He knows this. You drop what you have when you find something better. And we choose one thing over another because we perceive it to have more value. So Jesus is simply asking to us, am I not better than all the other loves in your life? Even your love for your family. C.S. Lewis does such a good job. He points out that everything that we long for here, everything that we set our affection on, is not actually what we desire. It's just a mere carrier for a moment of what we really want. The things that we set our hopes on, our desires on, that we think will satisfy us, they're so transient. So, and most of the things that we, we want to have God have, when we get them, they don't go right through our hands, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Right? Everything, every physical object, every, even, even fan, everything that we are pursuing, everything that we want, maybe it's a spouse, you name it. Everything here is a temporal representation of an eternal counterpart. Right. 
So I said C.S. Lewis, yes, he's going to help us here. Some of you are like, oh, he doesn't help me. I'll read it slowly. You'll follow him, okay? Thank you. Okay, what Lewis does is he describes a sunset. Um, and I want to set this up by first asking you a question. Have you guys ever seen that perfect kind of sunset where you're not satisfied to just see it off in the distance? Especially like if you're in the East Texas pine woods, like you see it partially through the trees, yeah. but you want to get to a clear. Yeah. And you want to drive to where you can actually see it. In Huntsville, you got to drive to like the west side of town. You got to drive like to 45 where you can see Walmart. And <laughs> <laughs> But you actually have to come out of the woods and then you can actually see like sunsets in it. Yeah. Right? Okay, but have you guys ever done that? Like, you're in your car and you're like, actually, you're, you're not in the middle of something. So you're like, I'm going to try and find a better view of that sunset. Yeah. Or maybe as a kid, you're like on a bike and you're like, I'm going to ride to the point where I can fully take this in. And if you do that, if you get to the clearing that I'm talking about, it's like you almost catch beauty for a moment. Yeah. And you're like, there, we can see it now. But then the sun sets fully, which means it's gone. Okay, this is where we pick up the bills. C.S. Lewis, we usually notice just as the moment of vision dies away, as the music ends or the landscape, the sunset, the landscape loses its celestial light. We usually notice just as the moment of vision dies away, as the music ends or the landscape loses its celestial light. For just a few moments, we have the illusion of belonging to that world, mm-hmm. like taking hold of you. Now we wait to find that there, that there is no such thing. We have been mere spectators. Beauty has smiled, but not to welcome us. Her face was turned in our direction, but not to see us. We have not been accepted, welcomed, or taken in to the dance. He continues, it's not the physical objects, but that indescribable something of which they become, for a moment, the messengers. Yeah. We yeah. want something else, he says. We can hardly put it to words. To be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it to ourselves, to, be, to bathe in it, to become part of it. And he says, finally, someday, God willing, we shall get in. There's a little bit of mystery here, okay? You're not supposed to grasp all that. It's like, I kind of get this little what you're talking about. What C.S. Lewis is describing, Jesus is actually calling us to. Yeah. Through himself. Even through the scripture we're looking at tonight. He's saying this, pick me above all others. And you will find that I am what your soul is longing for. Yeah. Matthew 13 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Matthew 13, 44. What do we have here? We have a man that has found a treasure, right? You guys are talking on this? Yeah. We have a man that has found a treasure. What does he do? He sells everything he has. Yeah. How? One word. Joyfully. Yeah. He joyfully 
gets rid of everything he has to have what he's found in the field. This treasure. He sells everything he has in joy. Why do we choose one thing over another? In this case tonight, why should we choose Jesus above, over everything else? Why choose Jesus over our families? This parable shows us a man that's willing to entirely sell out. He's found something that he's choosing above everything else. And what we're going to do to fully get it, I've told this parable many times on my own. Like, I've read it, but then, like, told it, like, kind of, like, put it into a story so we really get the weight of it, okay? But tonight we're going to do something different. We're actually going to listen to Winky Pratman. Some of you like, who's that? Y'all seem to be excited. That's a funny name if you ask me. It is a funny name. Winky Pratman is a funny name. He's an older gentleman from New Zealand who is a good friend of ours and is so in heavily to this group and made it largely what it is today. Um, but he unfolds this parable so well. So I'm going to read the parable one more time and then we're going to listen for about five minutes to Winky Pratney unfold this on audio. Okay, so I'm going to sit down and we're going to like in class together kind of thing and listen to this. And we've got to ask ourselves this question. I'm going to read the passage one more time, then I'm going to ask us this question, and then Matt's going to hit play, okay? The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Okay, before we listen, why does this particular man sell everything he's got? That's what we're listening for as we listen to this. Why does he sell Everything he's got. All right. Thank you, Matt. Take it away. So, sell everything he's got. So, I'm going to take this and just like blow it up for you a bit. Here's a man, and he's taking a shortcut back home. He's, uh, he's usually he catches the bus back home. But he decides he will take a shortcut at this particular time. What he's going to do, um, he's going to he goes through an excavation site. Now, he's not really strictly supposed to be there, but that ripped down buildings that have been there for a hundred years or more, and they just basically cleaned the whole thing up, and they dug way, way down, and there's a field, it's pretty broken up, and he is walking past. And as he walks, just sort of looking at what's been done up there, he sees a, a, a sale, for sale sign, uh, and as he's looking at it, he trips on something that nearly breaks his toe. He, he looks down, and it, it seems like there's a, a box, an old box, really old box, is sticking out of the, from the ground. And his trip has broken the end of it. And he looks down at that, and he thinks, look at that, it's an old box. And the end has been broken off of this box, and he thinks, I wonder if there's anything in that box. Now, it's a bit scary when you get a box that's been there a couple of hundred years, and put your hand in it just to see what's there. But he, he tries to dig around, it seems to go down a long, long way. So he takes the risk and he sticks his hand in it and he, he feels like a bunch of things there. So he's pulling on one and comes out and he pulls this dull yellow, heavy metal object. It looks a bit like a coin and it's quite heavy. He thinks, I wonder what this is. So as he's going through the field, he 
he uh, is coming up through town to get his bus, and he comes across a coin shop, and he goes, I wonder, I wonder if that guy knows anything this. So he goes in and he throws this out on the counter, and he goes, excuse me. And the guy looks at it, and, and he says, I, uh, is this worth anything? And the guy looks at it, and he goes, he goes, excuse me, he goes at the back, and he comes back and he goes, um, uh, yes, uh, I, uh, it's worth something, uh, uh, you want to sell it? He goes, yeah, and he goes, uh, well, I'll give you, uh, twenty dollars for it. He goes, no, I think I'll keep it, I'll give you, uh, hundred dollars for it. Uh, no, I don't think I'll, I'll give you five thousand dollars for it, or I don't. <laughs> He, he goes, what is it? It says, where did you get this? He says, well, tell me what it is. He says, it's a rare old coin. He says, how, how much is it worth? He goes, uh, about, about, about $40,000. The guy runs back to the field. Yeah. He runs back. He sees some people wandering around the field looking at yeah, well, we could uh, we could turn this into parking lot. We could, we'll have to excavate though. We'll have to clean down at least another story. And you know what he does? He stands in front of the box, just looking. He waits till they go, <laughs> trying to get them. He can't dig it. Woody down that box. There's all kinds of stuff. He like that squirrel on ice edges. Finally gets his hand around something. It's not like all that other stuff. It's all wide and he pulls this thing in. It's big. It's got like a very large duck egg in it. Transparent and it's red. And he looks at that and he sticks that under his jersey, you see, and then he he cuts back. And then he goes, he sees a, another jewelry store. I wonder if this is something. And he puts this on the counter. Boop. He says, excuse me, uh, what is this? Guys. Then he goes out the back, excuse me. FBI has said, somebody made your robbery. Comes back, he says, where did you get this? He says, I just, uh, Found it. He says, uh, What is it? You don't know what it is? Oh, I know it's valuable. He goes, This is the biggest ruby I've ever seen. I've never heard of one in this big. It's a real ruby. How, how much uh, is it worth? I don't know. I couldn't even put a price on this. 40 million? He runs home, forget the bus. He kicks the door off its hinges, he doesn't care. He runs in to his wife, he goes, Sell the house! Sell the car! Sell the boat! Sell the kids! No, we can keep the kids. Sell everything! Sell! She goes, We, we just bought this! It's just, this is the dream! Sell it all! Why? She says, I'm going to buy a deal. Now watch this guy. Everybody thinks it's like closing cameras. He's lost his mind. Because every time he's like, I sell this like another hundred dollars. He's laughing. He's enjoying selling what he's got. He's enjoying getting rid of what he's got. 
And everybody's looking at him going, you know, he got this guy, he just really went down. He was so sharp a guy, and now he's like, he's not like making mud pies in his front room, but he is kind of, he sell everything he's got by this dumb field. And I ask you a question, is he stupid? Not when he finally puts a huge electric fence around that thing, and he digs that box out which goes 20 foot down and is packed where he can not only buy his house, car, but the town and the nation and four or five other nations as well. Is he stupid? So I'm going to ask him a question. Why is he so much fun getting rid of what he's got? Because what he's seen in the field is worth more than anything else he's ever seen in his life. He's not stupid. That is the way people actually make choices. The intrinsic value obligates. You write it down if you like. The intrinsic, the value of something in itself is a thing that says, pick me, not this. Thank you, Matt. I'm going to re-ask some of the questions we asked towards the close there. At 1845, Mark, he said, is he stupid? Why is he having so much fun getting rid of everything he's got? And he says, because what he's seen in the field is worth more than anything he's ever seen in his life. So he then says, he's not stupid. That is the way people actually make choices. The intrinsic value obligates. The value of something in itself is the thing that says, pick me, not that. So, in this parable, Jesus is inviting us to do what he did for us. He pursued us above all else. He left everything for you, for me, for us. He left everything. He considered us the treasure, more valuable than anything else. He considered us the treasure of infinite value. He picked us above everything. And now he turns to us and says, will you pick me? Will you consider me the treasure above everything else? First John 4, 19 reads this way. We love because he first loved us. And Jesus has given us, even tonight, a chance to fulfill that. We love because he first loved us. He gave everything for us. Can we give everything for him? Um, in light of what we just listened to, that audio file with Winky, you can get more of that. That's called 21CR, and I would encourage you to get that. Um, but in light of what we just listened to from Winky Friday, through an audio file, um, I want to read something to you from a written word, a written work by Winky Bratney called The Nature and Character of God. And in this, he invites us to consider the treasure that Jesus is with our imaginations. So this is pretty much how we're going to close, bring it down to a close through this. We're going to have to use our imaginations. You guys okay? You ready? It's been a full week, full day maybe, but I wish we could do some calisthenics with our imagination beforehand so we're ready for this, but we can't really pull our imaginations out and stretch them, right? So we're just going to go for this. You ready? Okay. This is what Bradley says. Kick in imaginations. Here he goes. Think of all the lovely things you have ever seen. 
Your imagination work? Think of all the lovely things you have ever seen. Maybe it's the Grand Canyon. Maybe it's Niagara Falls. I don't know. Think of all the most wonderful times and places and people you have ever known. Are you there? And imagine you could contain all of that beauty and loveliness. Concentrate and distill all those experiences of awe and wonder and happiness in your life into one single moment. I don't know if that's like a great Christmas memory, Christmas morning memory, a favorite birthday party, that trip to Disney World in fifth grade. But what if we could do this? If we could take all the most wonderful times and places and people you have ever known, imagine you could contain all the beauty and loveliness you've ever seen, concentrate it and distill it, all those experiences of awe and wonder into one single moment. Brighton says if we could do this, it would be so painfully lovely. It's kind of funny, right? It would be so painfully lovely, so breathtakingly beautiful, that you could not bear for it to go on anymore or you would die. Nor could you bear having it cease for the same reason. You would be a spaz. Like, oh, don't stop, don't stop, oh, please stop. Yeah. Then he asks, what would you give to be part, even for a moment, of something so utterly wonderful as that, so intensely joyful? I think what, what Prattney does here is he's, in the best way possible, trying to get us to imagine eternity with our Father. But this is actually what we're even looking at tonight. If this verse, Luke 14, 26, love me above all others, is Jesus inviting us to love him above all others, and particularly even our families. But that's what he's inviting us to. Not he's inviting us to love me, and this is what you're meant for. What you're meant for. Okay, if you could come back um, and join me. We're going to sing um, just one song to close. We're not going to uh, draw this out tonight. It's going to be a pretty simple close. Um, and if the Lord's speaking to you, the Holy Spirit's stirring you, then go for it in this last song. But I believe this, even tonight, is a bit, a bit of a setup for what the Lord wants to do next week at Breakaway. Yeah. yeah. Um, and when, when Katie plays the song, it'll be meaningful to you. But first, I want, I want to tell you a story to, to wrap up. Um, the story that Elizabeth Elliott tells, uh, many of you guys have heard this, but it just brings this home so well, like I tell it again. Okay? It's the story of the king and the beggar. You'll get it, but the king is Jesus, and we're the beggar. So this is how it goes. There's a king who gets on his horse and he rides into a village. And he rides up to a beggar. And he sees this beggar sitting there in his racks with his bowl full of coins. And the king, having ridden right up to him, looks down upon him. And he says, would you give me your bowl of coins? And the beggar thinks to himself, I've been sitting here for days 
getting all of these and decides to partially obey the king. Often what we do. And he reaches into the bowl and he takes not all the coins as he's been asked. He takes two coins, reaches in, grabs two coins, and he hands them to the king. And the king smiles, but kind of sadly. And he reaches into his cloak and he takes out two diamonds to match the two coins. And he reaches out and hands them to the beggar. And the king rides off. And I think he did it, but the beggar is left sitting there saying to himself, looking at his two diamonds, why didn't I give him everything. When it's all said and done for us, when it's in Houston State and you're five years away from and your life is done, we don't want that regret. I'm inviting you to give him everything because he's got so much to give. Jesus doesn't make demands on us for the heck of it. To punk us. He's not just saying hate your family. He's saying love me above all else. Because I got infinite treasure to give you. You want to know what love is? He'll show you what love is. And he'll love your family. He'll love you. He'll be overflowing with love. Lord, would you help us? This is an eternal principle. When you make a demand of us, when you call us, when you say something difficult to us, and you say love me above all others, there's a great reason. Would you help us tonight to take a step to begin to let go of some of the things that we are clutching that are keeping you from having the place that you deserve in our lives? Would you loosen that grip that we have even tonight and turn our eyes on you, Jesus, that we might see you and all your goodness and your glory and your grace and that the things of this world would grow dim and light who you are. Would you help us in this moment right now and even as we go out from here this week, would you work in our hearts, prepare our hearts, And would you become everything to us, Jesus, the treasure that we're willing to sell everything for, the house, the dog, whatever, everything we got, we're willing to sell out for you, Jesus, because it's what you deserve.